Hello, this is Lori Kaufman, author of The Lens and the Looker. This is the seventh of eight free installments of The Lens and the Looker, volume one in the Verona Trilogy. To find out how to get all the other installments, go to my website, www.lauriekaufman.com. That's www.lauriekaufman.com. Enjoy! Chapter 9 Slow down, Handsome begged. Shamira and Handsome had to walk briskly to keep up with Ugolino. With long, purposeful steps, he strode toward the Podesta's palace. The master sent Ugolino to show the way and also protect the goods. Handsome carried a sturdy leather pouch with the precious glasses and looker slung over his shoulder. They proceeded through the now-familiar Bra Market and passed the arena. In a few blocks, the streets opened up into Urbe Square, another piazza. Pan explained as they walked that although Piazza Urbe was not as big as the Bra Market, it was more important. It was the center for banking, wool trading, fabrics, and other large commodities. "'Come on!' Ugolino said. "'Signore Square is this way.' They turned down a narrow street lined with tall, strong houses and warehouses. Ugolino seemed in an especially fine mood this morning. "'Okay, we're here.' The narrow street opened up into Signore Square. There weren't any vendors, but there were soldiers. Two long, imposing buildings flanked the square, facing each other. One was white marble, with a series of Corinthian columns holding up an arched walkway that ran the length of the building. The roof was topped with five statues of saints holding Bibles. "'The one on your left,' Pan whispered to Handsome, "'is the Government Administration Building. The building across the square—it was made of large grey blocks and fronted with heavy Doric columns—that's the Treasury.' And at the end of the square is the Della Scala family palace. In the middle of the red brick palace was a large marble doorway. Two columns held up the beautiful triangular portico with a sculpted relief of a winged lion on top. Just off the square, next to the palace, was a small beautiful church. That is St. Maria Antica. In the church courtyard was a tall, elaborate monument whose focal point was a highly decorated sarcophagus. That's where Mastino's predecessor is interred, the great Cangrande della Scala. Ugolino puffed himself up and led the other two through the square. Two soldiers stopped them. The enlisted men wore white-brimmed kettle helmets atop chainmail balaclavas. Both carried long-handled pole-axes with a sharp axe-blade on one side and a large hammer-type weapon on the other. The ends of the staffs sported long, sharp spikes. "'What business have you here?' one of the soldiers asked. "'We are here to see the Podesta,' Ugolino announced boisterously. The soldiers laughed. Handsome took out the Podesta's calling card. Ugolino snatched it. "'See? We do too have business here,' he taunted, waving the card." A soldier grabbed the card from Ugolino and inspected it from all sides. Grudgingly, he sent his compatriot to the palace with it. While they waited, the soldier looked at Handsome, who answered his stare with calm eyes and a little smile. Ugolino couldn't seem to contain himself. "'We make discs for the eyes for all the best priests and merchants in town,' he said haughtily. "'Even the Podesta wants them.' 
Then he whispered in a voice denoting secrecy, And we have a new thing the Podesta wants. A looker. Handsome nudged Ugolino in the ribs. What's a looker? the soldier asked. Never mind, Ugolino said. It's important. You're not supposed to know. Just then they heard the clip-clopping of the other soldier scurrying back. Captain Caesar, the officer who had arrested Faltrino the day before, was with him, and at the top of the palace steps, standing by the open door, was Baron de Pontromoli. The officer motioned for the three to proceed quickly. Ugolino put his nose in the air and swaggered toward the palace. Shamira and Handsome followed. At the door, Ugolino bowed to the secretary. Nicodemo ignored him and looked at Handsome and Shamira. "'What's he doing here?' he asked Handsome. "'We didn't know the way, Signor,' Handsome explained. "'Come,' the nobleman said sharply. Handsome and Shamira entered. When Ugolino took a step forward, he found the baron's long, thin hand on his chest. "'You wait in the square.' The brass and wood door closed in Ugolino's face. Chapter 10 Handsome noted that where Agostino's hovel had ceilings barely over six feet high— the ceilings of the Podesto's palace were over sixteen, the entrance hall almost thirty. The master's floors were dirt and straw, but the Podesta's intricately cut and polished marble. Windows here actually had glass in them, where Agostino's rented premises had a crude wooden door at the entrance with a wooden latch. The Podesta's was heavily lacquered wood, inlaid with brass bolts, hinges, and handle. The interior doorways of the Della Cappa hovel had cloths hanging from their frames for privacy, and people had to mind their heads as they walked under them. The Podesta's doorways were made of ornate oak, each eight to ten feet high and framed with heavy trim. Nicodemo led Handsome and Shamira through a reception room, a sitting room, and then a larger formal dining room. Finally, he opened up a somewhat less conspicuous door to reveal the Podesta's private planning office. It was a relatively modest place, perhaps twice the size of the Della Cappa house. There were several small desks with chairs for writing by the windows, and a very large heavy table in the middle of the room. The tabletop was covered with maps, architectural drawings, handwritten parchment letters, and more. There were half a dozen large hand-lettered books in the room, each on its own pedestal. The Podesta was standing deep in thought over his large table, studying a map. Nicodemo ushered the teens in, closed the door, and stood quietly. "'See, see, I hear you, Nicodemo,' the Podesta said, without looking up. "'Can't you see I'm busy?' "'The lensmaker's apprentice and girl have arrived, Excellency.' "'What?' "'Oh, thank Christo,' he said, turning around. He made a quick come-here motion with his hand. "'Come, come, come, come,' he said. The secretary pushed Chimera and Handsome forward. Give them to me, the discs for the eyes. Handsome took a small bundle out of the satchel, put it on the table, and unrolled it. Time is such a thief, the Podesta said. My eyes are aching from looking at all these documents. Master de la Capa sends these with his compliments, Excellency, Handsome said as he presented the new spectacles on a scrap of red velvet scrounged from the Satores. The lenses, they are broken in the middle, the Podesta said immediately. No, Excellency, Handsome answered. There is a purpose to this new design. Please, allow Carmela to help you put them on. This is something new. You are the first person to ever possess such a thing. The Podesta held the glasses to his eyes, and Shamira adjusted the ribbon and the whalebone clasp, which Nuka had expertly attached to each side of the frame that morning. The line should be just under the forward vision, Signor. 
Just so. There, signor. What do you think? A look of astonishment, not once but several times, appeared on the Podesta's face. I can see across the room. I can see clearly. The painting on the wall. You, Nicodemo, I can see you clearly. Look out the window, Excellency, Ansem suggested. The world, I can see the world. Nicodemo, I have the eyes of a young man again. Now, signor, look at the papers on your table, but look through the lower lenses, just slightly down, as if looking at something on the tip of your nose. Spettacolare! This is amazing! And then he turned and looked directly at Handsome. Romero, is it? Si, signor. You have brought me a wonderful gift. Grazie, Excellency. Master de la Capo will be pleased to hear you are happy. Mastino was close to Handsome, so he had to raise his nose in the air to look at him through the lower lenses. Romero, Romero, he said in a very familiar and practiced way. Your master is no doubt a good man, and treated you well. The Podesta put his hands on Handsome's shoulders. But Romero, did he show you how to make these miracle lenses, or did you show him? Eh? Eh? I would not be disloyal or say anything disparaging about my house, Excellency, Pan advised Handsome to say. I respect what you say, young man, very much, the Podesta soothed. Loyalty to one's house, to one's church, to one's city, to one's patron. Patron, signor? See, si, Romero, you are a young man of talent, perhaps a savant, a genioso. Oh, no, signor. Tot boy. And young men of talent must have patrons. I have the master, signor. Okay, be loyal to your master, but also be honest with your podesta. Romero, tell me truly. Did your master show you how these lenses and looker work? Were these truly his inventions? Handsome paused, looking at Shemira. Romero, I command you to tell me. I promise that much work will come to your master's house, and you will not be parted from it. So? After a pause and great reflection, Pan whispered into Handsome's ear. Handsome repeated, No, Excellency, the looker and the glasses to see far and near were not conceived by my master. Very good, the Podesta said. But he ground the lenses. I do not have the skill for that yet. And that is why you must stay with him. Fear not, Romero, I think you have a bright future in Verona. Savants as yourself who conjure inventions from the air, it's like God whispers in your ear. Geniusos are rare and coveted by princes. Oh, Geniuso, all right, Shimira said in a low voice. Hush, mistress, Pan whispered. Handsome was embarrassed by the unjust praise and Shimira's reaction. He tried to make excuses. Excellency, I did have a bit of experience with lenses before I came to Verona, with another master in... in Vicenza. I just expanded on that master's ideas. Podesta de la Scala smiled kindly at Handsome. Such modesty, eh, Nicodemo? True modesty is a very rare thing nowadays. As he smiled, Mastino was thinking how to exploit this weakness. Still looking at Handsome, he reached his hand out to Shamira. May I see the looker? Shamira reached into the satchel. While she took out the telescope, she also pulled out her art portfolio. The Podesta noticed it. Carmela, is it? Do you have the plans for the looker? I wish to again see the interesting way you drew them. 
Shamira pulled out the papers from the portfolio. There were some of her personal drawings on top of the pile. Mastino picked them up. He was a connoisseur of art. Under his rule, many buildings, monuments, and structures had been constructed. He looked intently at the drawings. The first page was a collage of quick little portraits. He was impressed. Who taught you your drawing, Carmela? No one. I guess my hand moves as my eye sees. And your writing? The Podesta inquired further. She looked over to Handsome. In Vicenza, your excellency. The priests, she answered. Ah, Della Scala said, looking back at the drawings. He saw that the images he gazed upon showed both craftsmanship and true artistic value. Besides being good likenesses, each sketch showed emotions of the subject's character. The serious, brooding master, staring into space. Next to it, the blubbery face of the signora. Lincoln's picture, with a big smile that even showed the chip on his front tooth, had a vulnerability in his eyes that strangely evoked pity from Mastino. He looked at a second page of portraits. Ugolino with his raggedy hat, bulbous, broken nose, one eye bigger than the other, and his cracked-faced smile. And then there was a drawing of himself, and one of Nicodemo. Shamira had only met them for a few minutes the day before, and did no drawing while they were there. Shamira's drawing technique was far different from the drawing that was common among the artists in Mastino's circle. The arts of perspective and realistic drawing were not yet rediscovered. Painting and sculpture were stylized, stiff, and without the illusion of three dimensions. But these sketches were alive and vibrant. Look, Nicodemo, look, he said quietly. As he passed the pictures over to his secretary, a third picture was revealed under them, a single finished portrait taking up the whole page. It was Julietta, sitting at the table preparing food. Julietta was holding the two halves of a pomegranate in her hands. The knife that had just cleaved the fruit lay on the table, dripping with juice. She looked out from the page with a soft smile and dark, warm eyes. The picture was a story, telling the viewer exactly who she was. Handsome had not seen this drawing. Wow, he said. Bella, the Podesta agreed. This is your master's daughter? Handsome seemed so taken by the drawing that he could not answer. He just nodded and swallowed. Carmela, in the following weeks I have talks with several art masters from different churches. I will show these to them. Would you like that? And maybe one day you can meet them. You mean the guys that design all the sculpture and paintings in the churches? And the buildings, too. Sure, that would be... I mean, I would be honored, Excellency. Nicodemo had picked up the new telescope and was looking out the window. Excellency, this is amazing. The back chamber does allow me to make clearer the image for my eye. I can see across the square and down the street. It's like I'm right next to people, and yet they don't know I'm looking at them. He looked seriously at the Podesta. A truly strategic advantage. Then he asked Handsome, These will be ready in tin in seven days? My master is to visit the tinsmith this afternoon. A sample in tin might be ready by tomorrow. Tell your master that I will come in two days to draw up the contract, Nicodemo said. That should give him time to organize with the smith and determine the truth of what should be possible. Inform your master the Podesta does not want promises that are not kept. Do you understand? This is very important. Also tell him that I shall bring payment for one-tenth the contract. Practical as ever, Nicodemo, the Podesta said. Well, I am a busy man today. Thank your master for me, and say your prayers. Grazie, Excellency, Handsome said. 
May I take the looker with me? Whatever for, the podesta said. To show as an example to the tinsmith, senor. Romero, Romero, the podesta chastised. The smith need not see what his tubes will be used for. Let him wait till there are many about the region and you are well established making them. Such foolishness. Have you ever been told that you were too trusting? Once or twice, he admitted. The podesta patted him paternally on the cheek. It is good to have one's head in the clouds to speak with God, Romero, but one must keep one's feet on the ground, too. And then he nodded at his secretary to remove them. While Nicodemo showed Hansom and Shamira out, the podesta continued to experiment with his spectacles. He looked at document after document. He read from a large hand-painted Bible on a stand. He tried writing with the spectacles on, smiling all the while. When he looked up, and did not have to squint to see the paintings across the room, he laughed aloud. Still in a joyous state, he picked up the telescope and went to the window, looking out over the piazza. He saw the two young savants walk across the cobblestones toward the guards. The Romero boy smiled and nodded to Captain Caesar. They exchanged a few words. The officer smiled back and even gave the young man a small salute. The boy commands respect naturally, he said to himself. The looker allowed Mastino to see the detail on the guards' uniforms, even saw the filing marks on the pole-axe blades. He spied the officer's smile turned to a frown when the ugly apprentice came running up to the others. He could see Ugolino talking and eating a pear at the same time, even the food stuck between his teeth. Mastino heard the latch to his office click as Nicodemo returned. "'Those children are a puzzle, cousin,' Mastino said as he continued viewing the square." "'They certainly are, Mastino,' the secretary said, both dropping the honorifics. Mastino took the looker away from his eye. "'The town of Vicenza is ours,' he began. "'We have no spectacle-maker there?' "'For sure, no,' Nicodemo answered. "'Spectacles are all made in Murano and Florence, cousin, where the glass is so good.' He put out his hands to try the looker again. Mastino handed it to him. "'And a peasant girl that has the knowledge of writing,' Mastino answered." "'Besides her ability to render likenesses, all in that shambles of a house?' he laughed. "'Do you believe they are truthful about learning their skills in Vicenza?' "'No, I believe them not,' Nicodemo answered. The two noblemen looked at each other and both shrugged. The truth didn't really matter. Possessing the looker was the only important thing. "'Can you imagine if the Gonzagos got their hands on this first? Nicodemo added. "'We were lucky to catch Feltrino.' "'Very lucky.' "'Yes. God is favoritist,' Mastino agreed. "'We must keep the Gonzaga for another month, say, "'till we have these lookers well in hand for ourselves. "'Too bad we can't just make him disappear.' "'Yes, but the bishop knew he was here. "'It could be awkward.' "'Mastino gave a little grunt, showing agreement, but also disappointment. "'Nicodemo, make inquiries immediately to Vicenza about the children "'and to Florence about this della Capa. Nicodemo nodded and left. Mastino continued looking out the window with his sharp new eyes. "'But these discs for the eyes are a marvel,' he said aloud to himself. "'Look at that. I have not seen Uncle Congrande's sarcophagus clearly for a decade.' "'Good day, Uncle,' he said, looking at the tomb where he buried his predecessor with much ceremony. "'Are you still digesting your foxglove?' Chapter 11 Agostino said he was 
over the moon, no, over the stars, when he heard that Baron de Pontremoli was coming to write up a contract. A contract, he said to Handsome, grabbing the boy's arms and shaking him. A contract, he repeated to everybody in the room. They are very serious, then. Shouldn't you practice writing your name, Magostino? the signora asked. The product is what I better practice at. The product. The sample must be ready and perfect by the time the Baron gets here. The day after next, a note came early in the morning announcing that Baron de Pontremoli would be there just before midday. The master had stayed up late, working feverishly to have the looker prototype completed in tin. As soon as Shamira read the note aloud, Agostino had the girls heat up a large pot of water so he could wash. He didn't want a repeat of the first impression his family gave the nobles. So when de Pontremoli arrived, the master was scrubbed, his hair combed, beard trimmed, and he was wearing a tunic with mother-of-pearl buttons. He had also instructed the girls to purchase a selection of pre-made foods from quality vendors at the market. Something to offer a noble. Julietta looked worried when her father also told her to find a bottle of Falerno wine from the south. He assured her, with good humor, it was for the guest only. And since she would be serving them, she could make sure that he would only drink some watered-down verjuice. When Nicodemo arrived, he was invited into the house and bid sit. Master Satore had lent them red velvet to cover the table and benches. Only Julietta was in attendance with them. The signora had been sent to the Satores with instructions to keep her there till the nobleman left. The master engaged the Pontremoli in idle chit-chat as Julietta served the wine and verjuice. When Nicodemo inspected the shop, he was impressed with the new lathe, the master's organization, the amount of raw materials on hand, and the cleanliness of the workplace and its apprentices. He was most intrigued by the way Lincoln had the place organized, and the way he kept track of all the lenses ground and spectacles made in a ledger. "'You read and write, my son.' "'Sure, why not?' Lincoln began, then said, "'See, Excellency.' Nicodemo found it curious when he saw Shamira in the shop setting lenses. "'She's good with her hands,' the master explained. "'See, I've seen this,' Nicodemo commented. They went back to the house ate, drank some more, and wrote a contract. By the time the meeting was over, everything was deemed a great success. It was evident that Nicodemo was now confident the delivery of the first six lookers could be accomplished by the next week, and the rest of the hundred within a month. The contract agreed on the unbelievable price of eighty denarii for each of the first ten lookers and one hundred for the brass. And he left a deposit of one-tenth of the total order, Master Agostino hadn't had that amount of money in his possession in a long time. Nicodemo shook hands profusely with Agostino as he left mid-afternoon. He was well-fed, impressed, and had the first of the usable lookers in hand. "'Della Capa,' he said, standing next to his carriage. "'I must admit I had my doubts.' Julietta was standing next to her father, smiling, her hands demurely folded in front of her. The master laughed at the nobleman's comment. "'My house shall rise like the phoenix with your house's patronage, Excellency.' That Saturday, Mastino della Scala actually ran down to the front entranceway of the palace. He heard that the della Cappa apprentice was there to deliver the first part of the contract. As Handsome handed him the lookers one at a time, Mastino tried each. They were all amazingly identical. He patted Handsome on the cheek, saying, "'Good boy, good boy.' For days the lookers were the talk of the palace. Everyone who tried one wanted to own it immediately, but Mastino gave orders that the lookers were restricted to the military for now. 
Part of Agostino's contract was that he could not make lookers for anyone but the Podesta until he had permission to do so, which, to Mastino, meant never. Chapter 12 A second lathe was delivered from Master Raphael's shop during the middle of the second week of the contract. Master della Cappa put Handsome to work on it immediately. By the end of the third day he had the lenses coming off it perfectly and quickly. Now, with both the Master and Handsome working, it took only ten days to complete the order, almost a week ahead of plan. It had been a very busy and exhausting push of work, but everyone was high with excitement on the morning of the big delivery. Again, Mastino was doubly pleased when he got word that the balance of the lookers were being delivered early. When he came down to the front of the palace, Captain Caesar was having his men help Handsome unload the five crates from a blood-stained pushcart, which Agostino had obviously borrowed from a butcher. Agostino was carrying a cylindrical case made from leather and also had on a new hat. "'Nice cap,' the Podesta said. "'To go with my name, Excellency,' he held out the leather case to Mastino. "'With my compliments, Excellency,' Agostino said. "'Each looker has its own home, as every important and valuable tool should.' This was not in the contract, Mastino said, looking at the finely tooled leather. No, Excellency. Again, with my compliments. Mastino nodded in reply, then looked down at the case. On its flap was embossed the design of a cap, just like the one Master della Cappa had on his head. Very good, the Podesta laughed. Very clever. What did you call it, Romero? The Master asked Handsome, who was carrying one end of a heavy case with a soldier. Marketing, Handsome answered. Marketing, Master. Yes, so everyone who sees that mark knows it is of our house, Agostino explained. I see, Mastino said. I see. Once again, the idea was the boys. He opened up several of the identical leather cases and found perfect replicas of the telescope. Come, Della Cappa, and you too, Romero. Let my men do this work. I was just going to sit down to a meal. Join me. As they walked through the hall, they saw a young man, his hands tied behind his back, being escorted by two armed guards. They saw him from behind, but when they turned a corner, the man jerked his head around, locking his gaze momentarily with handsomes. It was a very dirty and unshaven Feltrino. Feltrino tried to stop, but a guard pulled him forward and out of sight. "'Excuse me, Excellency,' Handsome said. "'Was that Feltrino?' "'Romero!' Agostino scolded. "'Speak only of what is our business.' "'Yes, young Romero,' agreed the Podesta lightly. "'Mind your master's wisdom.' In the dining-room, Mastino watched Agostino at the long, ornate table, fidgeting in his chair. The old lens-maker was gawking at the sumptuous surroundings, unfamiliar with such grandeur. Yet the boy looked at his relative ease, not intimidated at all. Highly decorated ceramic plates and trays were brought out and placed before them. Master de la Cappa's eyes seemed to pop out of his head at the sight of the fine food. Silver chalices were put in front of each person and filled. Mastino raised his cup. To our continued good fortune, Master de la Cappa. Agostino crossed himself and brought the cup to his lips, but Mastino noticed he did not drink. Each ate a bowl of rabbit stew with cheese gnocchi on the side. Agostino sighed with delight as he chewed. When they were eating the eel and roe tart, the lensmaker said with his mouth full, "'Eel is best in the winter.' "'Just so,' the nobleman agreed. "'Romero, have some figs. They're very sweet.' "'Thank you, Excellency. They are good.' Nicodemo entered the room. 
"'With the ones from before, one hundred exactly, Excellency,' he said, verifying the count of lookers. Mastino held up the looker beside him on the table. "'One hundred and one,' he said. "'My gift to you,' the lensmaker said, his mouth still full. "'So many gifts, Master della Capa. "'Thank you, Nicodemo. You have the master's payment?' "'Payment? Today?' the baron said, a surprised tone to his voice. "'Of course, today,' Mastino said. "'Go to the treasury and get it. "'I shall tell the master of my future plans for him and his establishment.' "'What further?' the baron began. "'The payment, Nicky!' When the baron left, Mastino folded his hands on the table and looked back and forth between the older and younger man. "'In some weeks I am going on a tour of our northern allies, the Germans, Master de la Capa.' "'How interesting,' the lensmaker said, almost wiping his mouth with his sleeve. "'It is to see their new technology of cannon and powder. "'You know of cannon and powder, Master?' "'Uh... "'No, Excellency.' Mastino looked at Handsome. "'A little,' Handsome said. "'Of course you do,' Mastino said matter-of-factly. "'But more importantly, your lookers. "'During my trip I may be able to secure orders "'for more of your wonderful devices. "'What do you say to that?' "'What... what could I say, Excellency?' Agostino replied. "'My house would be at your service. "'We could maybe turn out another hundred even faster the second time.' "'Oh, no,' Mastino said. "'Not another hundred. "'Perhaps another five hundred. "'Perhaps more.' "'The master nearly choked on his food. "'Chapter 13 "'Even weeks after the meeting with the Podesta, "'Pan was amazed how the whole Della Capa household "'was still so enthusiastic about everything. "'For Handsome and the master, "'it started right after they left the palace.' weighed down with more gold than Agostino had ever had in his possession. It was hidden under the master's ample coat. "'Such glorious food!' Agostino said to Handsome as they walked through Signori Square. Then he came close to Handsome's ear and whispered, "'Such glorious money!' The baron had offered to send a soldier with him for protection, but Agostino declined, saying he didn't want to attract too much attention.' He also turned down the introduction to a Jew, who could hold the money securely and even pay interest. "'He is very trustworthy,' de Pontremoli had said. "'Our Podesta does business with him.' "'Thank you, Excellency. Perhaps later. Soon, perhaps.' As they left the square and walked the narrow streets, flanked by towering strong houses, Agostino said, "'Romero, we cannot wait till spring to find new apprentices.' I want you to get on with your suggestion about getting apprentices from surrounding churches. Pan had suggested this to Handsome. Having the priests recommend apprentice candidates would ingratiate them to the community. Pan stayed with Handsome during the selection process, noticing how Handsome was becoming much more independent and not needing as much of his counsel. Handsome chose two quiet, clever boys who could still live at home till the first part of their training was over. Nine-year-old Pippo was the seventh son of the miller, Dabarletto. There wouldn't be a place for him in his father's business, and he seemed to have an aptitude for numbers. The miller was a good friend of one of the priests at San Zeno, so this was a good move. Handsome visited the mill and was amazed at the huge size and complexity of the machinery. Master Dabarletto also seemed to be showing off his seventeen-year-old daughter, Serendella, to him. She was a pleasant but amazingly homely girl who reminded Handsome of Ugolino, the other new apprentice he chose, eight-year-old Benicio, was a foundling who lived at a monastery orphanage. 
He was very quiet, but did what he was told meticulously. It was rumoured the boy was the illegitimate son of Father Benedict. When Hansom presented the master with two boys, Agostino said he thought he would have more to choose from. Since they needed two apprentices and he was only being given two to choose from, there was no choice at all. When Hansom reassured him that these were the best, Agostino laughed. Everything made him happy lately. Pan was doubly pleased with Lincoln's progress. He had appeared the most immature. After all, he was the youngest. But when it fell to him to keep the shop organized, he rose to the occasion. When the master or handsome came through the door, all they had to do was grind and polish lenses. There were always many dops waiting, loaded and ready. Supplies were always where they should be, and grit always plentiful. And for some odd reason, Lincoln's worst fault, his short temper and impatience, seemed to disappear when he took charge of the two younger apprentices. Within a week, he had Pippo and Benicio knowing their chores, and fairly adept at assisting the master and handsome with the proper tools and grits. Lincoln also started making the notations in Agostino's ledger, and he learned the master's secret hiding place for the strong box. Pan was ensconced in Lincoln's hood, watching everyone sit down for morning dinner. The master was laughing and joking with everyone. The only one not present was Ugolino. He was out selling discs for the eyes at the market and doing a very good job. Really? 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 Pippo, the new apprentice, screeched in his high nine-year-old voice to Benicio. The two boys were bouncing up and down on their own little bench at the end of the dining table. "'What's all this foolishness?' the master asked in mock testiness. "'Oh, master, master!' Pippo squeaked happily. "'Maruccio promised that if we did good till the end of the week, he could teach us to read and write.' "'Yes, and why not?' the master replied, smiling at Lincoln. The door opened, and in walked Ugolino. He was resplendent in new clothes, including a jaunty green hat and different strengths of spectacles hung by threads all over his red jacket. "'I sold four more discs for the eyes this morning, master. Four, he announced even before the door was closed. "'And I have a special order for Patchouli, the wart merchant.' "'Brother Romero,' Ugolino called. "'Make a note to create middle-strength lenses in tortoiseshell frames.' "'Tortoiseshell, you got that?' he asked importantly. "'See, si, senor head salesman,' Handsome said with humor. Pan was pleased that Ugolino and Handsome were getting along now. "'Tortoiseshell frames!' the senor exclaimed. "'I didn't know there was so much money in wart.' Ugolino also was carrying some beets and turnips by their long green and purple tops. He went over to Julieta and handed them to her. "'Here, Julieta, Master Satori sent these. Did you hear how many more discs for the eyes I sold?' "'Thank you, Ugolino,' she said, smiling and looking him right in the eye. "'See, you are doing marvellously. I am very impressed. And I like your new hat.' She reached up and cocked the hat at a rakish angle. Ugolino blushed vividly and took his seat. He didn't see Shamira and Julietta smile knowingly at each other, or Julietta wink at Handsome. The master clapped his hands. Okay, everybody, let us sit and eat. Girls, bring over our wonderful bounty. Let us give thanks to God and say our prayers for Father Aaron, who sits shining at the side of Jesus in heaven. He could now say this and not cry. Life is good, the signora said. My life stinks. Feltrino said out loud. His voice echoed in the dark room under the palace. He couldn't call it a cell, because it did have a window, and he even had a bed, but the window was high up on the wall, and faced another wall not more than an arm's length away. 
His bed had only a thin blanket, but he knew that the other rooms in this prison had neither beds nor blankets. This was the room for nobles, so that at least made him feel special. But he was still in his same clothes, hadn't washed for what must be close to three weeks, and the food was always cold, except for the time the baron took him up to his office for questioning. He had rabbit stew that day. That's when he saw that damned apprentice. "'I understand that you left home on bad terms with your father,' the baron said to Feltrino. "'Also he had no idea where you went.' Word comes that he still has no idea. So sad when fathers and sons don't see eye to eye, but all too common. One day you will both have feelings of love for each other, I'm sure. So, you're going to let me go? Feltrino had asked. Not yet, Excellency, not yet. And since your father has no idea where you are, I think we can keep you here a bit longer. So, Feltrino was still locked up, and all because he couldn't get that girl out of his mind. "'That beautiful bitch,' Faltrino said out loud. This had been the longest Faltrino had been without a woman in several years, so the thought of Julietta made him smile even now. "'Faltrino! Faltrino, my sweet!' a woman's voice said through the bars on his locked door. "'Veronica?' Faltrino said, jumping up. "'See, it's me with your food!' Veronica was the cook's helper who had brought Faltrino his meals since he had arrived. As she put Feltrino's plate through the slot in his cell door, he reached into the opening and grabbed her wrists. Her eyes widened in surprise, looking at him through the bars. Then she smiled. "'I've missed you,' she said. "'And I you, my beautiful Veronica.' "'Do you really think I'm beautiful?' she asked. Feltrino cocked his head and smiled at her. "'You are the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. "'Sweet Veronica. "'Sweet, sweet Veronica.' My father would be proud to have you as a daughter-in-law. Chapter 14 Tell the master we have another improved lathe design to show him after supper, Pan advised Handsome. As Handsome did so, Pan watched Agostino's curiosity become so piqued that he couldn't wait until the end of the workday. Yet another design! Show me now, he said, getting off his workstool. Handsome got the new drawings from Shamira and rolled them out on a table. Everyone stopped working to see Master de la Capa's reaction. It was actually Handsome's idea this time, not Pan's. He thought of it when he visited the miller, da Barletto. I was thinking what it would be like to run many lathes off a water wheel. It would save many sore legs, he had told Pan while rubbing his own thigh. Ah, inspiration coming from one's own perspiration, Pan had replied. Handsome explained to the master how, much like a flour mill, a water wheel would turn a drive shaft that came into the workplace. Along the length of the shaft, any number of lens-making lathes could be set up, but the drawing only showed one lathe. "'Now you've gone too far, Romero,' Agostino said, laughing. "'Running a small machine from a huge water wheel? It's ludicrous!' "'No, you could run many lathes off the one drive wheel, Master, "'and the gears here would create a constant speed,' he said, pointing to a detail. "'The leather belt around the drive shaft can be tightened or loosened "'to engage the spindle of the lathe. "'The operator uses no strength to spin the dop. "'He just concentrates on its shaping and polishing. "'And see, you can make the drive shaft as long as you want "'and run as many machines as you can afford off of it, maybe six. Six machines?' The lathe man doesn't have to power it himself? Unimaginable, the master scoffed. Maybe not even a lathe man, Handsome added brightly. If the spindle is turned by water power, 
The operator doesn't have to be so strong. Perhaps we could train women, too. They're much more patient and often do a better job on fine detail than men. Now I know you've gone crazy, the master laughed. A woman shaping lenses. Why not, father? Julieta asked. You say Carmela and I do neater and faster work than most men setting the lenses. Yeah, Shamira agreed. Soon you will say it's the men who should have the bambinos, Agostino laughed. Okay, enough. Everyone back to work. Agostino sat back at his lathe and began polishing again. But after a few minutes, Women polishing lenses, he muttered to himself. Ridiculous. Then he smiled broadly. I wouldn't have to pay them as much. Chapter 15 While everybody in the house was very happy, it could be said that Ugolino was the happiest. After all, he was the one who would gain the most. When at church or walking through the streets, people no longer scowled at him. Men nodded and smiled when he walked by. They didn't laugh or spit in his path. Some called his name or even came to shake his hand. And women no longer turned their heads away when his gaze fell on them. He noticed that some, in fact, held their gaze on him till they caught his eye. And lately a few men even brought their daughters up in conversation. But Ugolino didn't want any of them. Oh, he looked and fantasized about them, but he didn't want to marry them. That's why one Sabbath afternoon Ugolino stopped at the city well and gave his face a thorough washing. He wet and slicked his hair, organizing the mop of tight waves with a new comb he stole. Then he put his new green cap back on at that same rakish angle Julieta had tilted it to the other day. He even attempted to scrape the dirt from beneath his fingernails. The self-perceived dandy then strode back to the house of Della Cappa. As he neared his street, a royal carriage passed him. It got to the house just before Ugolino, and he saw Baron de Pontremoli step out of it. Shamira, who was sitting on the step drawing, got up to greet him. She was showing him her work when the master's head popped out of the door. He bowed over and over again, and then the two men entered the house. Ugolino got to the door just as Shamira was finished putting her supplies back in the drawing satchel. "'Have you seen Julieta?' Ugolino asked. "'She's in the workshop setting lenses,' Shamira answered. "'Carmela,' the master's voice called. "'Come serve wine to the baron, quickly.' As Shamira entered the house, Ugolino, mouth freshly vinegared, strode off to the shop. "'Master de la Cappa, I bring news,' Baron de Pontremoli said seriously. He had seated himself at the bench while the master, handsome, and Lincoln stood at the end of the table— Shamira was getting the wine. "'What could be the matter that you come in person?' Agostino said with concern. "'What?' the baron said. Then he laughed. "'No, Agostino, nothing has happened. I bring good news, only good news. Sit down, please.' Agostino sighed deeply. "'Carmela, pour the wine for our guest, and you know what for me. Grazie, good girl.' "'Master de la Cappa,' the baron started. Then he looked at Handsome and motioned for him to sit too. "'We have wonderful news that requires some preparation on both your parts. His Excellency, Podesta de la Scala, has sent word that our lookers have received a very good welcome from the first of our German allies. What do you think about that?' "'Good news indeed, Excellency.' We have been working very hard to prepare. Romero has become very proficient at polishing lenses. Maruccio, well, you know, he has my shop under control. We have two new apprentices and both girls set lenses now. 
If we are favored with an unbelievable order of five hundred lookers, we will not fail you. Oh, no, Master de la Capa, not five hundred. Ah, well, no matter. A hundred would be just as welcome, Agostino said, nonchalantly lifting up his verjuice to take a sip. You must understand, Master de la Capa, not one hundred. Agostino looked confused. Baron de Pontremoli smiled again. One thousand. Agostino's hand began to tremble. Verjuice sprayed from the cup. Handsome lunged over to steady it, then gently took it away. One thousand? the master gasped. Perhaps more, de Pontremoli said. Our master has not yet visited King Carl. We shall see what his response will be. The master crossed himself three times. He tried to speak, but failed. Handsome Shemira and Lincoln smiled broadly. "'This is indeed good news, Excellency,' Handsome said. "'Yes, but the reason I am here is to get your assurances that you can deliver, truly deliver. A noble is like any other man. His word must be good. My job is to make sure our prince can keep his word. So I ask you quite seriously, can you deliver such quantities?' Agostino became very still. He gulped, staring at the baron. Then, without taking his eyes from the nobleman, he said, "'Romero, bring the baron the designs for our new lathe.' Now Agostino loved the idea of the water-powered lathe. When the baron was gone, Agostino actually did a little jig, dancing on the spot. All the teens laughed. "'We will produce lookers for all of Europe,' he sang. "'Did you see the look on his face when he saw the new lathe design?' Lincoln said, continuing to laugh. "'I thought his jaw was going to hit the table.' "'This water-powered lathe will allow us to undersell Florence,' the master pronounced. Then he kicked up his heels and did another little jig. He saw how this made Handsome laugh, so he made a serious face and teased. "'Remember, you must not show the plans to anyone.' "'Yes, master, I think I've got that straight now.' "'And the miller?' Agostino continued. "'We will need to ally ourselves with him. "'His expertise and access to the river is essential.' I shall stand by him at his church this next Sabbath. No, he lamented, this approach is too bold. We must act carefully. I shall give it more thought. God will present an opportunity. He sipped on his verjuice, then looked over at Handsome, who seemed deep in thought again. What? What are you thinking now, ruminating one? Well, master, when I visited the miller de Barletto about Pippo... Besides seeing the mill, I also saw he has a seventeen-year-old daughter who is not married. Her name is Serendella. Yes, I know her from church, Shamira said. Truly, the master commented. A daughter that old and yet unmarried? Is she an imbecile? Hey, I'm almost that old, Shamira reminded him. No, master, Handsome said. She's not a genioso, but quite pleasant of temperament and good about the house and business, from what I've heard. Why, then, is she a spinster? I don't wish to be unkind to a young lady, but in terms of describing her, I would say Ugolino would be a good comparison. Handsome stopped short and looked at the master, raising an eyebrow. Agostino stopped and stared back at Handsome. Then they both smiled simultaneously, as if bright oil lamps had ignited above each of their heads. Serendella, the master shouted joyously, and Ugolino, Handsome added. See, that would be perfect. Agostino clapped his hands together. Finally, the Lord has rewarded me for putting up with that monster of a boy. The cogs were turning in his head. 
You're going to foist Yugi off on Sirendella? Shamira protested. She was horrified. It would be perfect, Agostino cried. He started talking about new clothes for Ugolino and a dinner for the two families. Shamira, disgusted, went to the cot and picked up her drawing satchel. Lincoln just laughed at the whole thing. Can you imagine how ugly the babies would be? He said, almost choking with mirth. It's fun to marry off children, the master finally said, even if they are not your own. One day, Romero, we shall have to find a wife for you. A pregnant pause. Well, master, now that you broached the subject, there was a knock on the door. As soon as Lincoln opened it, he got down on one knee and bowed his head. Master, he called, it's the bishop. There in the doorway was the bishop of San Zeno, flanked by two priests. Master de la Capa hurried to the door, bowing over and over again. Bishop, holy father, welcome, welcome. Come in, holy father, please. How may I help you? What service may I provide? Agostino bent to one knee before the clergyman and kissed his ring. "'Good day to you, Master de la Capa. We're thinking of discs for the eyes for most of the writing-room.' "'Oh, marvellous, your grace. Please sit down and we shall talk. Maruccio, get the cups. Make sure they're clean. Carmela, wine and victuals, quickly.' As the priests proceeded, Agostino called Handsome over to him. "'Romero,' he said in a euphoric manner, "'go find Ugolino. I will talk to him about Serendella. "'Oh, my luck today keeps getting better and better. "'Maruccio, hurry with those cups.' "'Handsome went over to Shamira. "'Have you seen Ugolino?' he asked. "'In the shop, I think,' she answered, "'with Julietta.' Chapter 16 "'Please get off your knees,' Ugolino heard Julietta say. The wet-haired oaf raised his head and looked up at the beauty. She sat facing him on the shop's workbench, looking him straight in the eye. He had confidently walked into the room, called her name, and said he wished to talk to her. She had turned on the bench to give him her full attention. He took a few steps towards her and recited all the wonderful things he had done this past few months— how many discs for the eyes he had sold, how great a future he had. He even told how people respected him and showed their daughters to him. Then, after a long while of self-aggrandizement, he knelt down on his knees and asked her the most important question of his life. But I don't want any of them. I want you. Will you marry me? Julietta was very kind. She did not laugh, and she did not look at him with disgust. "'You really know you have changed into a man I thought you could never become,' she said. "'You are clean and pious. You go to church regularly. "'Yes, you have earned the respect of many merchants and priests "'with your sales of the discs for the eyes. "'But, Ugolino, you are not the man for me.' Ugolino, still on his knees, stiffened. "'His body trembled slightly, but inside it had been as if he had been hit harder than ever before. "'But, but—' he began when he heard something by the door. He turned and saw Handsome standing there. "'We're having a private conversation,' Ugolino said, embarrassed and getting to his feet quickly. "'I'm sorry, Ugolino,' Handsome said. "'I didn't mean to eavesdrop.' Ugolino shuffled his feet. Handsome added, "'Odd though it may seem, brother, the master and I were just talking about this topic a few minutes ago. He sent me to talk to you of it.' "'What about?' Ugolino asked suspiciously. A marriage partner for you. Julietta is supposed to be mine. 
"'Pray tell, Romero,' Julieta said, ignoring the last statement. "'What did you and Papa speak of?' Ugolino watched Julieta stand up and take a step toward Handsome. He could tell the two were going to work in concert to some purpose against his own. "'Well, the master is really quite excited,' Handsome continued. "'He has this idea that, as Ugolino is doing such a splendid job and has such a great future ahead of him, he should have a wife.' "'Truly?' Julieta extolled. "'That is a happy coincidence.' "'And he said it should be with another master's family,' Handsome continued. "'It would be good for business. "'And Ugolino, he thought the miller's daughter, Serendella, would be a wonderful match for you.' "'Serendella? Pippa's sister?' Julietta said brightly. "'What a wonderful idea! "'Why, Ugolino, she is very pleasant, and I have heard she even has a dowry.' "'Serendella!' Ugolino gasped. "'She's a cow!' "'Oh, Ugolino, don't talk so,' Julieta scolded lightly. "'Why should I marry a cow?' "'If she is a cow,' Handsome said, smiling, "'then you are a bull.' Handsome chucked Ugolino on the arm in a manly fashion. "'A perfect match! I will talk to her father for you, if you wish.' It took a few seconds for Handsome's little joke to sink into Ugolino's head, but when it did, he felt a rage rise up in him. He pushed back on Handsome's shoulder, much harder than Handsome's mock punch. "'A bull? A cow?' Ugolino said loudly, repeating the push harder each time he spit out a phrase. "'You think you are so elevated above us, because you are the Podesta's pet, that we are but barnyard animals?' The pushes almost became punches. Handsome was backed up against the wall. Ugolino put his hand on the base of Handsome's neck and held him fast. "'No, brother, no,' Handsome said. "'We are all the same in God's eyes. "'But we must know who we are and what our best prospects are. "'Our household has done well. "'We are both men who have futures and will be able to afford a wife. "'We must choose carefully and make a proper match.' Ugolino scowled and leaned into Handsome. "'And what of Julieta?' he asked cunningly. Ugolino saw Handsome and Julieta look at each other in a way that could only mean one thing. "'So you marry a beauty and me a beast? "'Is that what you are saying is my proper match?' Julietta put her hand on Ugolino's shoulder. "'Hush, Ugolino, do not talk so of Serendella. "'Beauty fades, but disposition stays, if it be nurtured, "'and she has a lovely disposition. "'Make a match of like and like, and in time you will find it more to your liking.' "'See, Ugolino,' Handsome said, "'think about it.' "'But Ugolino would not hear this good advice.' Instead, his blood boiled over. "'You are trying to take a wife from me. Before you came, Julietta was to be mine!' he shouted. "'Never was this so, Ugolino,' Julietta said. "'This was a fancy of yours.' Ugolino turned and raised a hand to Julietta. "'Shut your mouth, woman!' he said, slapping her face. "'I will be your—' But before he could say husband, Romero was upon him with a fist to the mouth and a knee to the ribs. Ugolino fell to the ground, knocking his supplies off of the table. Handsome jumped upon his adversary with the full weight of his knee, but Ugolino, a veteran of many street fights, did not submit easily. With little effort, he threw Handsome off. "'Stop!' Julieta screamed, but neither would hear. Ugolino got hold of the pitch-pot, stood up, and flung it at Handsome. It would have hit him square in the face if he had not raised his arms to deflect it. Handsome dived at Ugolino, driving his shoulder into his midsection. Ugolino fell onto a workshop table, scattering more supplies. Both boys tumbled to the floor, their fists pummeling each other. Julieta continued screaming, "'Stop! 
both of you, please. I'll teach you, orphan, Ugolino yelled. And I'll teach you, you stupid animal, Handsome shouted. This seemed to enrage Ugolino even more. He rolled over, picked up a brass shaping bowl, and shot to his feet. I'm not an animal, he shrieked, raising the bowl over his adversary's head. Julietta threw herself against Ugolino to protect Handsome. Ugolino grabbed Julietta with his free hand and shook her, the pot still in his other hand, high over his head. I am not an animal, he screamed. The shop door burst open. Ugolino's eyes froze into the amazed eyes of the master. Ugolino watched the master's eyes move to his daughter and then to the pitch pot held high over her head. Then, without a heartbeat's hesitation, he watched Agostino's bulk fly across the shop. He felt his master's large red paw grab the hand holding the bowl and another hand come down and chop at his wrist, forcing him to let go of Julietta. From long conditioning, Ugolino did not attempt to fight back against his master, but let himself be pushed into and then on top of the work table. The master was now over his salesman. Ugolino still had hold of the pot in one hand, and the master had control of that arm. Agostino, an enraged look on his face, wrenched Ugolino's hand toward his own face. The pot cracked into the side of Ugolino's head, and he let go of it. His head rang so Ugolino was momentarily deaf. Peace, father, Julietta urged. It was not as it appeared. Handsome was now to his feet. It was not all Ugolino's fault, master. He was upset with what you and I were talking about. I should have let you tell him, Handsome admitted. His ears still ringing, the cowering Ugolino stared up at his master's angry face only inches from his own. He saw Agostino look over at Handsome, who was saying something, and also saw the makings of a good black eye starting to show on his rival. Ugolino felt the master's fists tighten on his clothes as he was lifted several inches off the table. The master then dropped him back down in disgust. Agostino walked a few steps away and began to yell in earnest at Ugolino. Slowly, Ugolino could make out words again. We give you good tidings and you give us trouble. We give you hope and you give us hell. What type of apprentice would shame a master who offers him a son's prize of a wife? Ugolino rolled off the table onto his knees. But the wife I want is, he began, the wife you want. You, you have a wife in mind. You, you ugly bastard who I found stealing from my garbage as a child. You think you will pick your own wife? But master, and you break up my workshop and fight with other apprentices. You threaten my daughter because you don't like the wife I, your master, have in mind for you. But it's Julietta. Shut your mouth, bastard. Don't you mention her name with your rotten mouth. The master swatted at Ugolino's head. The jaunty green hat flew off and landed in the straw. Another word and I shall rip off all the clothes I put on your back and throw you back into the ditch where you came from. You have ever been my cross to carry. Look what you've done to my workshop, my place of profit. How I wish you could be in another city and haunt that place. Ugolino cringed repeatedly as one epithet after the other was thrown at him. He saw his precious new hat lying in the straw and dirt. He grabbed it up and returned it to its perch on his head, but now it was askew with clods of dirt stuck to it. But, Julietta, not another word. Get out. Get out of my sight. The master's bellow was so loud and ferocious that it caused a cascade of images to rush through Ugolino's head.
They were memories of himself as a very young boy, of his young self skulking around at night, sleeping in despicable places, subsisting on the uneatable, and experiencing unimaginable humiliations. As he grew up in the streets, he knew no better, but now he knew what it was to sleep in one place with protective walls around him, without the wind or rats attacking him. He had grown used to his dry straw bed in the stall, to regular food that could be named, clothes that were not fouled rags. He felt dizzy and had the urge to puke as his head throbbed. The master's curses became hollow echoes. Ugolino grasped at the table and pulled himself to his feet. Then, with a heart full of misplaced shame, he felt himself running out of the workshop and down the lane. He understood only one of the echoing words that followed him as his feet pounded through the wet, fetid puddles. It was his master's voice shouting, "'Fool!' "'I'm sorry, master,' Handsome said, one hand on his bruised abdomen, the other on his forehead. Julietta had hold of his arm, steadying him. "'Life gets better and then it gets worse,' Agostino moaned. He stood, swaying back and forth. Life gives you wine and then vinegar, sweet meats, then maggots. Agostino collapsed on the bench and looked up at the two teenagers. I've still got the bishop in the house. I better get back before your mother tells of her archangel. I didn't mean for it to turn out this way, Handsome said. The old man, for he looked much older than a few minutes ago, waved away Handsome's apology. No matter. I was a fool to believe it could be otherwise. Ugolino and Serendella? Ha! We'll have to find some other way to create an alliance with the miller. Perhaps you, Romero? Perhaps Romero what? Julietta asked. The master quickly explained the plan of using a marriage of the two houses to get easy access to the knowledge and experience of setting up a watermill. That's how countries do it? That's how kings do it? Why not us? He concluded. So, what do you say, Romero? You and Serendella? Handsome said nothing and only glanced fleetingly at Julietta. "'You want Romero to marry Serendella?' Julietta asked, with a certain tone in her voice. Agostino put his hands out beseechingly, and as if it was a perfectly obvious and good idea. "'If Romero marries Serendella, then we can get the miller to help us set up a mill to run many, many lathes.' "'Romero marries Serendella,' Julietta repeated, looking between her father and Handsome. "'See!' the master answered, now somewhat annoyed. Julietta gave Handsome a look which he thought could never be made by a face as sweet as hers. Handsome made a gesture for her to calm down. "'Master,' he said, taking a tentative step forward. "'What?' Agostino said. "'Master, I have something to ask you.' "'What?' "'Remember I was just going to ask you a question just before the bishop knocked on the door?' He looked at Julietta as if to prove a point. "'See, and?' "'It was about me marrying.' He paused. The master looked at him inquiringly, expecting him to continue. Nothing came out. Julietta stepped next to Handsome. Without a word, she reached out and took Handsome's hand. The young lovers braced for a tirade, but it didn't come. Instead, Agostino became thoughtful and quiet. "'Father, are you quite all right?' Julietta asked. After a few more moments, he looked at the two seriously, but with measured calm. "'To this match I would have no objection,' he said plainly. Both Handsome and Julietta broke into big smiles. Julietta, still holding Handsome's hand, became light on her feet and jumped up and down. Handsome didn't jump, but laughed happily. The master stopped them. Hold! This is a time for planning. 
Romero, you are a favorite of the Podesta. You must receive his blessing on this. The way he asks for you and talks to you, he must have plans. If this family is to prosper, it must be with his blessing. So, not a word to anyone. Who else have you told? No one, Master, Handsome said. Ugolino, Julietta reminded. Ugolino knows. If it's only Ugolino, then there's no problem. The Podesta is away from Verona for the next while. We have time to plan. And that dog, Ugolino, he knows where his bed and food are. He will be back by tonight. If I'm lucky, he'll stay away a few days. But Ugolino didn't come back that night, or the next, or many after that. He ran to a quiet spot by the river and threw up, then lay there with a hand in the cold water, letting it cool his body. The ringing in his head lessened, and his pounding heart began to calm. Finally he sat up and just brooded. He took the hat from his head and looked at it. The new hat he was so proud of. How could the master say he would take it away from him? Ugolino paid for it himself. He picked off the dirt and straw, staring at the hat and all it represented. It symbolized his new life, but all that was gone now. The master thought he was going to smash Julietta with a metal pot. He most certainly wouldn't be forgiven for that. And that bitch, no, he mustn't call her such things. But Julietta was probably playing up what happened, putting the blame for wrecking the shop on him. And Romero, no way he would miss the chance to keep himself the golden boy. But we're family. Families fight but always take each other back, he thought. Ugolino went to put the jaunty green hat back on his head. But we're not family. I'm a stupid, ugly bastard that can't learn to make lenses. Ugolino wiped his face with the back of his hand, surprised to see he was wiping off tears. Nobody wants you. Nobody needs you, he thought. He tossed the hat into the rushing river. As the current grabbed it, the hat sped away, the green fabric turning to black in the shadows. Then it disappeared. Ugolino got up, not even bothering to dust the dirt off of his clothes and he too disappeared into the dark. Chapter 17 Wow, handsome, my man! Getting married at seventeen! Lincoln laughed as they lay in the hay that night. That's freaky! Yes, Pan said. To people of our time, where most people live to over one hundred and fifty, it would seem odd. There is no rush to procreate. But here... Procreate, Lincoln interrupted, a further realization seeming to jump into his head. He began to giggle. That means you're going to... you and Julietta. Hey, and they don't have preggy blocks here. You'll probably be a dad by the time you're eighteen, he giggled again. I'll be an uncle. Shamira will be an aunt. And I shall be the child's teacher, Pan pronounced, as Aristotle was to Alexander the Great. "'But why would the Podesta have any objection if I married Julietta?' Handsome asked, getting up on one elbow. "'What is the master so worried about? Why is he making it so complicated?' "'I can't say,' Pan replied. "'But the master is correct. You must be careful. The Podesta believes you are a savant, and most likely will want to keep you in his direct sphere of influence.' "'But it's just because of the stuff you've been telling me,' Handsome said." "'That doesn't matter, young master,' Pan answered. "'He thinks it is you, and it must stay thus.' Lincoln yawned and stretched out in the hay. "'Okay, 
I'm tired. Let's get some shut-eye. Pan, turn down your light. Man, oh man, Handsome and Julietta are getting married, and they'll be dum-de-dum-de-doing. Handsome and Julietta's was not the only engagement with complications that day. But you promised to marry me after I helped you escape, shouted poor Veronica, as Feltrino rode off at full gallop. You promised, she trailed off. He didn't even wave or look back. The dust his horse was kicking up obscured him from view. She looked down. There was blood on her dress. It was from what had remained on Feltrino's sword when he killed the guard who came back sooner than expected. So here she was, outside the city gates, thrown off the back of Feltrino's huge horse, without a word or a smile, just thrown off. What was she to do? If she didn't go back, they would assume she was part of the killing. If she did go back, she could feign innocence, but she knew she would get flustered when the baron questioned her. He had a kind nature, but he always got to the bottom of things. Poor Veronica stood all alone in the middle of the night, not knowing what to do. Feltrino petted the huge neck of his horse as they galloped through the night. He found his beast plump and healthy in the Podesta stables behind the palace, ready and wanting to expel the incredible energy pent up in him. Feltrino knew he would be able to push the stallion all night, till he was well away from Verona. "'It's true what they say about Della Scala. He takes care of things in his possession, like he did the horse. But he's ruthless, as anyone who runs cities must be,' Feltrino thought." He would be that kind of leader when he came home to claim his place by his father. As he rode, Faltrino went over what he was going to say to his father. He wanted to save face, but he didn't have one of the lookers. What exactly should he tell him? Well, he had a long ride. He would run it through his mind over and over again till he got it right. Luigi, or Ludovico Gonzago, was still the thin, quiet man Faltrino had left almost two months earlier. As Feltrino burst into the dining room, he saw his father sitting at table. Feltrino strode over to him and went down onto one knee. He had determined to show his father deference, but not act cowed. He would apologize, using the wisdom he remembered Baron de Pontemoli imparting about fathers and sons, but he must quickly get to the device that brings images closer. Luigi went to put a hand on Feltrino's head, but stopped. "'My prodigal son smells like a festering trough of hog guts,' were the first words Luigi uttered. Although Feltrino felt his ire rising, his father could always do that to him. He constrained himself. He raised his head, grabbed his father's hand, and kissed it. Then he looked his father in the eye, making sure he looked unafraid and unbroken, like he had resolved to. "'That is because I spent the better part of the last month in a scalari prison,' Feltrino said." Luigi looked at his son, raising eyebrows at the news, then peered into the youth's eyes. His gaze slid to the blade hanging by Faltrino's thigh. He reached down and touched the now-dried blood. He laughed. Quite an adventure you've had, then. Sit and tell me how you've profited from it. But first, he looked at his butler. Rinaldo, butcher the fatted calf. My son hath returned. By afternoon, Luigi and his military officers had been briefed on the new device that would allow Mastino to have a great and strategic advantage. They resolved to get their hands on one, and to discover its secret. But how? A captain suggested a group of his men could go in and storm the lensmaker's house. Luigi's adviser suggested bribing the lensmaker to come over to them. Feltrino told how he had tried this approach, and didn't think it would work. 
He felt his father's eyes upon him. He knew that look. It showed he understood that there was more to the story. Feltrino then spoke. I think it best if I go back myself. Getting into Verona with many men and out again would be tricky. Too many will cause a problem. Over many objections to Feltrino's proposal, Luigi Gonzago spoke. I now see in my son the ability to do what he says he will do. He has proved himself capable of getting out of messes. Now all he has to do is learn to stay out of them in the first place. What is your plan, my son? We need only one of the devices. I will take a wagon and horses and go into Verona as a farmer with produce. When I am in, I will find a way to get my hands on what we want. There was a hush from the men around the table. That's no plan, an officer finally said. Luigi spoke again. Well, sometimes one has to wait patiently, like a spider, for an opportunity to come along. The wisdom is to put yourself in a situation from which to strike. I have faith in you, my son. I am very proud and glad you have come back to us. You've come to the end of this installment of The Lens and the Looker. We hope you enjoyed it. To find out how to get the other installments, go to www.loriekaufman.com. That's www.loriekaufman.com.